Thank you, Pastor. Good evening, everyone. Did you get a nap today? Yes? Yeah. No? Yes? No. I did. got a little... I'm glad. Take your Bible, open, if you will, to Romans chapter 8, to a very familiar verse, verse 28. We made reference to this verse this morning, and tonight we're going to talk about it, but we want to kind of set the stage in the, in the chapter for this message. It's a great message. Let me read it to you, verse 28. Paul writes, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. He doesn't say all things are good, but he says all things work together for good, and it's God who does the working. And we wish we could see the end of some of the, the pictures that we're looking at right now, but uh, we'll understand someday. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can be together tonight. Thank you that we can gather to open your word. And as always, we are conscious of our need for you to use your own word in our lives. We pray that the Spirit of God will have liberty to work in each of us, to single us out, to receive what you want for us to receive in our own lives and our own experience. We'll thank you. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting that the Holy Spirit is only mentioned one time from Romans 1 to Romans 7. One time. You get to chapter 8 and the Holy Spirit is mentioned just in this chapter alone 19 times. Isn't that interesting? There's a reason for that and, and that is uh, Paul having taken us through the idea of the sinfulness of humanity and then how to get justified and how to get sanctified. But then remember chapter 7, Paul talks about his struggle. You and I have that struggle where he basically says, you know what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I do. And, and all that battle of the Christian experience, I think we're all there. And that's when he then introduces the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now we can spend the whole time tonight talking about that. Thankfully when you get saved, the Spirit of God enters into us and we belong to the Lord. We are indwelt by Him and He's going to work in us. We are sealed by Him and the Spirit of God is, is a wonderful person who ministers to us. But I want to just pick up in verse 15 and eventually get to verse 28 and we're not going to look at verse by verse but I want you to just see some things. The first thing I want you to look at is verse 15. Paul is talking to these believers at Rome and he says to them, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. 
When you and I receive the Holy Spirit, one of the terms that Paul uses to describe Him is the spirit of adoption. Now, we have not been adopted yet. Sometimes you hear people say, oh, we've been adopted. No, we haven't been adopted yet. We have received the spirit of adoption. But the full adoption, which means the, the full experience of sonship and the inheritance that we're going to receive, isn't going to come for a while. Just look down, if you will, to verse 22, where Paul says, We know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have received the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, look at it, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. That's when you get the adoption. Right now we have the spirit of adoption. We're waiting for the adoption. And when you have the redemption of your body, in other words, when you get a new body, that's when you'll experience the fullness of being a son of God and enter into the inheritance that is yours. But I also want to point out in verse 15 this, last part of the verse, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Do you sense the relationship that is suggested by that term? Let me tell you what that term is all about. Abba is an Aramaic term and it speaks of the infant child crying out to his father. The, the child who has nowhere else to turn. And he cries, Abba, Father. It would be similar to a little child in our families calling their father Dada, Dada. They only have one Dada. Dada becomes everything to them. I always tease because sometimes I think young people tend to think that older people really have it together spiritually. But you know what? Every single one of us will always be really the infant to our Heavenly Father. Abba, Father. Father, I need help. And that personal relationship. If you were blessed to have children, you know that preciousness between a a parent and a child, a father and an infant child. That's where you and I are with God. It's a wonderful thing because as we're going to see if we go along here, uh, we have problems in this life. We have trouble. We have difficulties and challenges. But we can always think of Him as our Father. Our Heavenly Father. What a precious concept. Now He goes on and says this, verse 16, the Spirit itself. I remind you the Spirit is not in it. Right? So why does it say the Spirit itself? Well, it has to do with Greek grammar. And all grammar, really. If you have a, a noun and a modifier, they have to, they have to match, right? Masculine with a masculine. Feminine with a feminine. Neuter with a neuter. Well, the term English, uh, Spirit in, in Greek is a neuter term. And so the translators, properly matching neuter with neuter, called the Spirit itself. The Lord Jesus called him a he. He's not an it. He's a he. The Lord Jesus made that clear. But verse 16 says this, the Spirit itself, or the Spirit himself, beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Do you have that in your life? 
Can you say, you know, I know I'm saved because of what this book says. But you know, I also know I'm saved because the Holy Spirit within me witnesses to my spirit that I truly belong to God. I am a child of God. The Spirit of God witnesses to the deepest part of me, my spirit, that I'm a child of God. Verse 17. If children, then heirs, that's the direction we're heading, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, and that's so, so special because he says this, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. What a wonderful promise, wonderful hope. And then Paul says this, and this helps us with Romans 8, 28. Paul said this, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I want to tell you that's a wonderful truth. Because suffering is a part of life. And there are lots of people in the world who suffer a lot more than what you and I might be suffering right now. There are people who are being put to death today for being a Christian. Countries like China or North Korea or Iran or other countries. And, and uh, we don't suffer much here for our Christianity. There's some pressure, maybe more pressure to come. But there are some people who, who pay a price for just being a Christian. But Paul would hold that out to them. He would hold it out to us. And he said, I want you to know something. Any suffering you go through here, is it worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to come? And someday we're going to experience that. As an heir of God and joint heir with Christ, that we enter into the glory of eternity. And what we may go through here will be so somewhat meaningless. What great truth. Well, go to verse 26 and 27 for a moment. Because talking more about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit not only is the spirit of adoption, He not only cries out the Father through us, He not only witnesses to our spirit that we are the children of God, but verse 26 says, Likewise, here's something else the Spirit does, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. You and I pray. By the way, I, I find that I'm a better prayer when things are not going good than I am when things are going good. But he says, but the fact is sometimes we don't know what to pray for. We might have a goal in mind. Oh, I wish that could happen, but we don't know how to get there. We don't know what to ask God to do. We don't know what has to take place. Well, that's where the Spirit of God comes into our prayer life. The Spirit helps with our infirmities. We know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, don't let that groanings thing make you think of the the charismatic crowd. Sometimes the charismatics go to, to this and say, look at that groanings. No, number one, these groanings can't be uttered. <laughs> there are other groanings. But these groanings can't be uttered. But the term groaning here speaks of agonizing. That's the idea of that term. 
And the idea is this. You and I pray. We don't know what to pray for. We have a burden. We have a problem. The Spirit of God says, you know what? I'm going to intercede for you. I'm going to agonize on your behalf. I'm going to take your burden and I'm going to lay it before the throne of God just the way it needs to be. Boy, that's special. The Spirit of God. So he goes on and says it this way, verse 27. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he, the Spirit, maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. What a wonderful ministry the Spirit of God has for us. Well, trouble, problems, suffering, don't know what to pray for, don't know what to do. So Paul says in verse 28, I would put it like this, we may know not, verse 26, we may know not how to pray. We may not know how to pray. But he said, but here's something we do know. And every single one of us needs to lay hold of this. It's wonderful to talk about things that we know as Christians. He said, we know this, that all things, and the way it's written in the original language suggests this, that they don't just work together by themselves. They're worked together for good. This is something God does. God takes the all things of life, the good, the bad, the horrible, whatever it might be, and God is going to take those things and mold them together for ultimate good. Ultimate good. We don't see it. We can't experience it right now. We can't understand it right now. But we know it. We claim it. We believe it. Now who is that for? It's not for everybody. It's not for the unsaved. Don't ever go to an unsaved person and say, oh, we know all things work together for good. No, it's not for them. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, it's not for you. Who is it for? It's for them who are called, excuse me, them that love God, them who are called according to His purpose. We made reference to it this morning. The purpose of God. There's a broad purpose. But there's a purpose for every single one of us. There's a purpose for you and me to have life. Here, this 60, 70, 80, 90 years, but beyond that, there's purpose for us. Heaven is not the end. Heaven is the beginning. And Wednesday night, I want to talk about beyond heaven. I hope you can maybe come for that message. Beyond heaven. So you, if you're saved, you've been called according to God's purpose. And you can rest in this. The all things of life, God will work together for good. Now, he goes on and says some things because he's going to get us down eventually to the point where he's pointing out people who are suffering and are wondering, perhaps, about verse 28. You ever wonder about verse 28? Well, I'm not sure. I see what it says, but... Well, look what he says. Verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. I know sometimes when Christians read a verse like that, oh, what does that mean? The first thing that's mentioned here is foreknowledge. God foreknew. Foreknowledge. You know what foreknowledge means? It means knowledge before. Knowledge before. That's what it is. Foreknowledge. God knows ahead of time all things. Right? 
God knew if you're saved, He knew you were going to get saved. And He knew when you were going to get saved. And in the foreknowledge, the knowing ahead of time that you were going to get saved, He made a decision, if you will. Although in eternity we don't normally think of point decisions. But here's what He did. Whom He did foreknow, He predestinated. Now He didn't predestinate you to get saved. Knowing you were going to get saved, He predestinated you and me to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's going to happen someday for every single one of us. This is eternal security. And this is eternal hope. We're supposed to be coming more like the Lord now. Uh, sometimes we don't do too good at that. But you know, someday every single one of us will be conformed to the image of Christ. And we are predestinated to that. God has established that. It's going to happen to every single one of us. So he goes on and says this, that he, the Lord Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know, when you get saved, if you can lose your salvation, everybody will lose it. If you can lose your salvation, you lose it. If I can lose mine, I lose it. There's no way we can keep it. No way we can live in such a way as to maintain it. So it's kind of like the text says, He predestinated us to be conformed to the image of Christ so that Christ might be the firstborn among many brethren. Because if we didn't get predestinated there, then Christ might not be the firstborn among many brethren because nobody else would make it. But it's determined you are going to make it. And the church will be there. You and I will be there. Then he says this, verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, he saw we were going to get saved, predestinated us to be conformed to the image of Christ, and then he also called. The gospel went out, you heard it, you received it. Whom he called, then he also justified. When you get saved, you are justified. That is a legal term from Paul's day. It means to be declared righteous. And then whom he justified, this is kind of like de facto truth, whom he justified, then he also glorified. Now there's nobody in this room who's glorified yet, right? But God looks at it as if it's already true. He called, he justified, he glorified. All that in the mind of God. It's always on. Praise the Lord. Can't lose it. Wonderful truth. So Paul says in verse 31 this, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, He obviously is. If God be for us, who can be against us? The idea is, who can take us out of His hands? Who can be against us and ultimately win? Nobody. Nobody. We're secure. He emphasizes, verse 32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also free and give us all things? In other words, he's saying this. Listen. If God was willing to give his son for us, then believe me, there's nothing else that he would withhold from us. He gave us the absolute best. He gave us the greatest gift 
So why would He not freely give us all things in our salvation experience? Verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It goes on and says it's God that justifies. Why am glad for that? You know why? Because there's not a person in this room who walks worthy of Christ. None of us. Not a person in this room who is a sufficient testimony for Christ. And therefore, people might throw accusations at us. Well, I don't think he lives like a Christian. I don't think he acts like a Christian. Well, praise the Lord, it's God that justifies. Isn't that wonderful? We should try to live in such a way that, that people would look at us and say, yeah, I think that person's saved. <clears throat> but hallelujah, we're not dependent on people. It's God that justifies. It's God who declares us righteous. Not because we deserve it, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. I love to talk about this truth of Christ. Where is Christ? Some people say He's on the throne. He's not on the throne. Where is He? He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's where He is. When He ascended to heaven, the Lord, the Father even said to him, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's where he is. Now what's he doing there? Why is he there at the right hand of the Father? Well, he's there, this text says, making intercession for us. Now we saw the intercession of the Holy Spirit and the intercession of the Lord Jesus. They're two different things. The intercession of the Holy Spirit is when we pray, we don't know what to ask for. The Holy Spirit says, I'll take the burden of your heart. I will lay it before God. That's His, His intercession. What's the intercession of the Lord Jesus? It's this. Every time you and I sin and the old devil says, look at that, look at that. The Lord Jesus says, I paid for that. That sin's paid for. We're not supposed to sin, but John wrote, if any man sin, what? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What's a good thing? It's a good thing. He's there interceding for us. He's the assurance of that salvation, even though not one of us is worthy of it and not worthy to maintain it. Well, you come to verse 35. <coughs> And you get to the issue of trial, trouble, difficulty, heartache. And so Paul asks this question because sometimes people call into question the love of God. If God loved me, why would He allow that? If God loved me, why would He let that happen to me? If God loved me, why... Or the way things are, I don't, I don't think God does love me. So Paul asks this question. Who shall separate us 
from the love of Christ. And then, he gives a list of the things that people might experience that would make them question the love of God. And it's a very serious list. And it implies that Christians do face these things. You and I may not have faced them. We might. Others have faced them. Others are facing them. But these are the things that some people would, again, use to call into question God's love. Where is He? Why? Here's the list. Shall tribulation. Does that somehow show us that we're separated from the love of God because He allows us to go through tribulation? Or distress? Or persecution? Again, we've not faced persecution in this country. We may. Others are. And you can imagine some who are being persecuted could question, where's God? Why isn't He helping me? Why doesn't He show His love to me? Famine? I thought God would provide. Sometimes Christians face famine. Nakedness. In other words, you have nothing. Or peril. Danger. Or sword. War. An attack. Where's God? Why does He let His children go through those kinds of things? We just read in verse 28, we know all things work together for good to them that love God. I, I love God. So why does God allow me to go through all these things? Well, it's interesting that Paul then quotes from Psalm 44. And in Psalm 44, the psalmist is crying out about the conditions that Israel was going through, the suffering that Israel was going through. And so here's what the psalmist wrote. Paul says, as it is written, For thy sake, he cries out to God, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the sloth. God, I thought we were your people. You can imagine the Jewish people. Look at what they've gone through. Thought we're the chosen people. We thought you're you're going to take care of us, but we're we're just like sheep set up for the slaughter. Where are you? You know, one of the greatest weapons I think the devil has against us, and we all fall prey to it, is to feel sorry for ourselves. Self pity is so destructive. And it can take us down. And self-pity often arises out of like, well, where is God? Why? Never ask why. I'll ask why. Why? But do the hard times mean that God is not faithful? Do the hard times mean that God does not love us? Or 
would we look at the hard times and say, well, I don't understand the why, but I know this. That all things will be worked together for good for me. For you. And so when he quotes the psalmist, who says, we're being killed all day long. We're nothing but, but sheep for the slaughter. Paul responds in verse 37. What's he say? Nay. If I could emphasize it, Paul would say, no, 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 no. No. You're not sheep for the slaughter. You haven't been forsaken by God. Paul says, nay, no, in all these things, in tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him to love us. Can we have spiritual victory in the midst of physical suffering? Yes. Can we have victory in the midst of trial, even persecution, sickness, whatever it might be? Yes. Paul says in verse 38, For I am persuaded. Persuaded is a strong term. You ever have to be persuaded about things? Some things you don't have to be persuaded about. But some things you have to be persuaded. And that's what Paul says. I am persuaded. And what that means is that what that word means is I have taken time to consider this thing. I have thought it through thoroughly. And having considered the whole thing, I have come to a settled conclusion. And Paul said, here's my conclusion. And by the way, the Apostle Paul went through far more than any of us have ever gone through or ever will go through. I'm often reminded that, you know, Paul was stoned and left for dead, wasn't he? Stoned and left for dead. And I'm also reminded that, that was his first missionary journey. First time out. Stone and left for dead. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I've gotten up and said, you know what, I, I think I've done my duty, I'm going home. You know? And don't call me into question because if you've never been stoned and left for dead, you know, whatever. But no, first we've been on a journey. Stoned and left for dead. Finishes the journey. Second journey. Third journey. And if tradition is correct, beheaded by Nero to end his life as a servant of Christ. So Paul says, I want you to know, I thought this through. And I've come to a settled conclusion. And here's what it is. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, that means the experiences of life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, that's the demonic host, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us 
from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Lord. You ever get to church? You ever want to throw in, I quit, no, I'm not. people let me down, whatever it might be, you know. Too many people quit. They quit on God. They quit on church. And sometimes it's because they say, where is God? Why isn't God doing this? And we, we set up our expectations of what we think God ought to do or, or what we think God ought to stop. Listen, we don't understand God. We don't understand His ways. We don't understand His purpose. We don't understand why He does some things and doesn't do other We don't understand any of that. Our hope rests in what Paul said. And you and I have to lay hold of that. I don't understand it, but I know based on this. Based on the character of God. Based on the promises of God. I know this. That the all things of life, be they good or bad, God's going to use them for His purpose. That's where you and I have to live. Too many people quit. Too many people walk away. Where do you turn? If you don't turn to Him, there's no Let's pray. Father, how we thank You for the truth of Your Word. Father, we not only stake our lives on it, we stake our eternity on it. And we thank You for it. And I pray, Father, for all of us, there might be some folks here tonight who are discouraged and defeated. They're not selling out for Christ. They're not living for Him because things haven't always gone well. They haven't always gone right. Their prayers have seemingly been unanswered to them. They've lost hope. Father, I pray You draw us all close. Close to You. To live for you, realizing that we don't get all the answers in this life and all the problems are not solved in this life. But it will be worth it all when we're finally home. So, Father, minister to us. You know us, you know our needs, our battles, and our struggles. You know what keeps us from full surrender. But I pray tonight you would minister to each of us personally. So our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Where are you tonight? Number one, are you saved? Ensure that. Somebody asked you personally, are you saved and going to heaven? Are you 100% sure? Can you say yes, absolutely, not a doubt, not a question? I hope so. But being saved is the beginning of life.
then we walk this life to serve the Lord. And then along the way, things go wrong. And we are supposed to walk with the Lord anyway. Trust Him. Serve Him. Be surrendered to Him. Now here's my question for you tonight. Right now, can you look back to a time in your life and you say, no, I was closer to God and more faithful to Him back then than I am right now. There was a time when I was more faithful, more dedicated, more excited and zealous about the things of God than I am now. And my question to you would be then, well, what happened? What got in the way? Who got in the way? What is it that moved you away from full surrender and dedication and service to Him? Because you've got to deal with that. You can't live with that. You can't let that defeat you or deter you. You and I need to be as persuaded as Paul was about the love of God and the faithfulness of God. And that's what carries us through. I'd like to pray for you tonight. If that's where you are, you say, well, Brother Griffith, the truth is, I know right now, I am not where I once was. And you probably know what got in the way or who got in the way. But you say, I'm going to reject that. I want to walk close to my Lord. If that's you tonight, nobody's looking around, I will not point you out or embarrass you or anything like that, but I'd sure like to pray with you and for you. And so I'm just going to invite you to slip your hand up and you're simply saying to me, Brother Griffith, it's true. I was closer back then than I am now because something happened. Well, I'm going to reject that. I'm going to refuse that. I want to get back to a close, close walk with my God. Anybody like that? Say, that's me. Father, you know us. You know our hearts. And I pray that the absence of hands is a testimony from each one saying, I'm closer to God now than I've ever been. I hope that's true. More zealous for the Lord than ever. More involved, more faithful. May it be true. Well, thank you. We pray, we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, folks, Pastor. Yes. So much great, wonderful chapter. Um, thank you, brother, for just laying it out for us. All that we have in Christ, all that He's done for us. And so, 386. Let's sing a closing hymn. And again, we're here to help, and we need to remember one another in prayer. Let's stand, shall we? 300, 386. All for Jesus. Think about the words as we sing. Um, great, it's a wonderful hymn of dedication of commitment to the Lord.
from his throne. Uh, he would have read, people get confused, uh, they, they read, he's reigning right now from the throne of David. That's so wrong. Yep. Yeah. He's going to be on the throne of David. Yeah, it's, not, it's down here. Yeah. Praise, you know, praise the Lord for that. He's coming. He's, that's another subject that I don't understand why people want to deny him his kingdom. Maybe you can help me. Maybe you can help me figure that out. But, but you know, he is coming back. And he's, we're going we're to reign with him. And, and uh, so, we'll offer Jesus. What, and what else is there amen. in this life? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for thy goodness to us. For the love of God in Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you for the singing tonight. Thank you for Joshua playing the piano. Please, Lord, continue to help him. So thankful that he's willing to give himself for the service for the Lord. Just thanks for, for everything throughout this day. Watch over us tonight. Father, bless these services. And bless tomorrow with the ladies and throughout Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. We do pray for some who promise to be out tomorrow evening. Lord, help them not to forget. Pray for visitors and folks that we've been in contact with. And we just love, Father, to see someone saved this week. Christians making decisions that need to make. So we commit that all to thee. Please watch over us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.